0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orrico. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Orrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Make sure you go check out EthosFantasyBB, guys. That is where all of our new baseball and fantasy baseball content will be posted throughout the rest of the offseason and, of course, heading into next year as well. Podcasts, articles, different notes that are going out directly on Twitter. All of it will be there at Ethos Fantasy BB. And go check out sportsethos.com as well for the rest of our sports, basketball, hockey, football, and of course the baseball content is on the website as well if you guys want to go right to the source. Now, a little note before we get going today. Tomorrow I will be joined by Matt Williams. You guys know him. He works for the game day. We'll be talking about some ADP stuff from the first couple of months of drafts. We're going to be looking at what we agree with, what we disagree with. Certain players that are going in the first few rounds that are maybe a little bit questionable in terms of their ADP. An overall review of these early numbers that we are looking at so far. That one will be tomorrow in the afternoon. It'll be coming out. We're going to be recording, I believe, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, and then the show will be released probably around 4 o'clock. So keep an eye out for that. Matt is one of the best in the business. We're going to be talking probably for about an hour about ADP stuff. So make sure you guys hit the subscribe button so you guys will get that show right when it's released into your feed tomorrow. Now, we are going to be doing another SP review today. The hot stove is relatively cool over these last couple of days. A couple of minor signings, but nothing where we would need to devote an entire show to it. uh, Adam Odovino going back to the Mets. Matt Carpenter, one-year deal with the Padres. Jordan Lyles going to the Royals. Nothing really too crazy to talk about. If there are more signings over the next couple of days, maybe we'll do a big review of all the things that have happened, but... There's really not so much to talk about here in terms of the news over these last couple of days. I just saw a headline where Noah Syndergaard apparently said uh, he doesn't see a reason why he can't throw 100 miles an hour again. I see many reasons why he couldn't throw 100 miles an hour again, but we will not be talking about that specifically today. We're going to be continuing with our SP reviews. This is show number six in that regard, and my apologies for having them so spread out this is my first off season of doing content. If I could go back and do it again, I would have probably done them all right when the season ended, just so they're all together. Uh, the hot stove just really exploded and essentially set the house on fire. So I felt like, and I've explained this a couple times before, we needed to talk about those things when they happened instead of waiting two weeks to talk about certain signings. Next offseason, we'll, we'll do it a little bit differently. And of course, like I said, this is still my, my rookie year in this business. So bear with me. All the SP shows have come out over the last month or so. You guys can find them in your feeds. But we are going to continue today, starting off with Merrill Kelly. The dude was one of my favorite players to roster in fantasy this season. He gave you a 13-8 record. He threw 200 innings, Merrill Kelly. I don't think many people were necessarily expecting that. Even though when he was pitching in Korea, he did get up over 200, 190, 181, 183, but 200 major league innings is quite a bit different. The KBO, from what I understand, not that I'm a huge fan of it, but is considered to be generally close to like double A, maybe maybe triple A, in terms of what you'd see here in North America. So it's a it's a lot different. It's a bit harder, a lot harder. And he was able to still throw 200 innings, give you a 337 ERA. Now, he doesn't blow you away with the strikeout numbers, just 22% right on league average. But he didn't really need to do that much more than that to have value, <clears throat> considering the 337 ERA, considering the 1.14 whip. He was fantastic. And in most cases, not talking about your deeper leagues, your 15s and you know draft champions and whatnot, you were able to just pick him up off the waiver wire. Now, will he continue to have these kind of performances year in and year out? I'm not really sure. It's really hard to say. If you look at what he did down the stretch, I mean, first half it was a three. Where was it now? Three twenty-six ERA. Second half was a three-five ERA. No drastic changes there down the stretch to indicate that you know he was he was tailing off or anything like that. He's not the youngest guy, thirty-four years old. He just turned thirty-four, but I don't really see any reason why he couldn't give you something similar to this again. You know, maybe a three-five ERA roughly. If you look at the uh, pitching indicating numbers, xERA was three sixty-two. FIP was 365, XFIP was 386, and his Sierra was 401. Nothing too crazy in terms of those numbers to suggest that he's going to get blown up a hell of a lot next season. I think that he'll probably be pretty fine next season in terms of of a draft pick. Not somebody that you're going to take too high up, but you don't really need to take him too high up. When you're looking at where he's being drafted, 248 is his ADP in these early draft champions. 198 is the minimum pick, 307 is the maximum pick. I think 248 is a pretty nice spot from there, wherever you're drafting. If you're drafting in a a draft champions format right now, I think that that's totally fine. And when we get into January, February, March, when Yahoo and ESPN and CBS and everybody else opens up their leagues, you'll probably be able to get him as a last round pick, second, last, last round pick for somebody who's going to be able to eat innings for you on a team that is low-key pretty damn good now. Like... I'm not going to, you know, overblow how good the team is, but very solid lineup. Varsho, Cattell Marte, Jake McCarthy, Christian Walker, Rojas, Corbin Carroll, who's, you know, probably not going to end up batting 60. He's currently slotted there right now. I expect him to bat a little bit higher. But that's a great lineup right there. I mean, okay, maybe great's overblowing it. A very good, potentially a very, very good playoff team. Like, they could very easily make the playoffs. When you look at the rotation as well, Zach Allen followed by Kelly, Madison Bumgarner afterwards, well, not, not so great there, but then you got Ryan Nelson and Trey Jamison, who could very well turn into fantastic starting pitchers this season, so this team is looking like it could be very good, could win a lot of games, and Kelly would be a big reason for that, I expect, anyway, I don't think we're going to see crazy high ace numbers, there's not a ton of upside in this pick, but I think there's a relatively high floor, considering what we saw this past season, considering what he did for you on the mound, so... No problems drafting him in this 250 range. I think it's fairly reasonable in terms of the guys we're going to talk about today. He is one of the cheaper players going into next season. and He's not going to blow you away. I think that's why. Even though he had a, a good season this year, he's not somebody that is going to be a target for many people. He'll be kind of just you get to this range. Oh, I need an SP. Kelly's sitting there. Okay, I'll take Merrill Kelly. Not somebody that you're going to see on many lists of targets for next season. I wouldn't expect. But if you get into this range and you see him sitting there, I'd be very happy to take him. I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic that he can do this again, 350 ERA or below roughly. I wouldn't expect the sub three, but I think anywhere from the three, three to the 3-7-5 three, three, kind of range is what we should expect from Merrill Kelly. So I have no problems taking him there fairly late in your drafts. Of course, assuming if you're doing a draft champions, it's not that late. It's still about the first third of the draft, but if you're drafting, like we tend to focus on here during the regular season, ESPN and Yahoo leagues, You're going to be able to get him with one of your last picks, and I do think that he will be worth it in the long run for next season. Joe Ryan is the next guy we are going to talk about here. I like Joe Ryan. I like Joe Ryan quite a bit, and he did struggle a little bit down the stretch, which is what I want to talk about here first, because I think it's pretty interesting. His ERA in the first half was 299. In the second half, it was 414. And when I was digging into this, why? Why did this happen a little bit? It's hard to say. The BABIP went up a little bit. It was very low in the first half and the second half, 240 up to 267. He was stranding fewer base runners, but his fielding independent pitching was the same. In fact, it was actually better in the second half, or excuse me, his xFIP fip was actually better in the second half than it was in the first half. He went from 475 down to 392. So the numbers are a little bit hard to parse through there and figure out why exactly he wasn't doing as well in the second half. I think it's honestly just... Randomness. I don't think it was that bad of a second half where you have to look at it and say, okay, he was terrible. There was one really bad start against San Diego where he gave up 10 runs, and then there was a start against the Dodgers where he gave up five earned runs, and then another one against Boston, five earned runs. Like three bad starts in the second half that kind of tanked that ERA for you. I mean, I was going to say specifically in a roto league, but really, I mean, if you were in a head-to-head league, he killed you those weeks too, most likely, 10 earned runs against. But what he did over the course of the whole season was still very viable. He gave you a 355 ERA, <clears throat> good strikeout numbers at 25%, only walking just below league average, 7.8%. I shouldn't say only. When you look at the pitching indicators, pretty good, a little bit worse than the ERA, but a 357 X ERA, 399 FIP, 435 X FIP, and his Sierra was at 398. I, I know a lot of people were worried about Joe Ryan. But I can't look at what he did and say that there's not potential for him to at least do what he did again, give you a mid-threes ERA with good strikeout numbers. And the whip, I believe, wasn't too bad either. 1.10, very solid. Opposing average was 210. He's a good pitcher. He's a very good pitcher, and he's being drafted probably a little bit higher than I would feel comfortable with at 141. I don't think there's that much need to take him in this particular range. It feels a little high. Not that I'm going to give you so much grief about taking him in that range if you get down there. It's not a terrible range for pitchers. Like, if you get into this range, it's Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito, Jesus Lizardo, Dustin May, Chris Bassett. There's honestly probably some guys I prefer over him in that range, but assuming they're all gone, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at him and say, you know, he's not somebody that you can draft because, you know, the second half ERA was over four. It's, it's the result of a couple of bad starts. I wouldn't really particularly hold that against him. Now, in terms of his innings pitch, can he get up to 147, or can he get past the 147 that he had this season? I believe he did miss a little bit of time with injury will he be able to come back next season and pitch an entire season yeah he didn't he just missed a few weeks there i believe it was in may until middle of june he missed i think about 4 or 5 starts there Will he be able to get up over that innings threshold next season? I, I would think so. I would, he's projected for 170 based on Steamer. You guys know how I feel about Steamer if you listen regularly, especially for pitchers. Not a huge fan of it. But if he can get to that 170 range, I think that that's probably pretty reasonable. Maintaining relatively similar strikeout numbers, and I think the ERA should probably be generally in line with what we saw this year, maybe a touch higher. His indicators were at a little bit higher than the ERA. But I think you should probably go into it expecting roughly a three seven five, with you know, like we talked about, twenty five percent strikeout rate, about league average walk rate, and a decent WHIP. So I don't see a problem in taking Joe Ryan here. I think that there's probably some guys I would prefer in this range, but if you're if you're getting down here, I'm not going to give you a hard time about taking him. I think that he is totally fine. Logan Gilbert is the next guy we're going to talk about here a little bit quicker. Well, I know I sometimes I can ramble on about certain players. And I do have a habit occasionally of repeating a point or two when I'm talking. I've listened back to a couple of pods. So a little more concise in terms of the individual players we're going to be talking about. So let's keep it going. Logan Gilbert, another guy that I really like. I think there's a ton of potential for Logan Gilbert here. Now, he is somebody where the expected stats, the pitching indicators were a little bit higher than what you would have hoped for. A 320 ERA, a 411 XERA, 346 FIP. 378 x and a 384 Sierra. Nothing crazy. The xera is probably you know the most concerning there at 411. But when you look at everything else that he does, he gives you you know about league average strikeout numbers with the potential for more because we saw in the minors that he was quite a bit higher than league average. You know upwards of you know, upper 20s, even low 30s on occasion when he was in single A. Six percent walk, six uh, percent walk rate, 6.4 to be exact. He'll definitely play with that, and that helped with his whip as well, 1.18. I like Logan Gilbert quite a bit. In terms of where he's being drafted, again, I, I like him where he's going. I think it might feel maybe a touch high at 112. I think that there are some more options. And we've talked about how flush pitching is this year in the middle rounds. <clears throat> with Ryan and with Gilbert, I wouldn't necessarily say that you have to take either of them. Just because, and there's nothing against them, it's just how deep pitching is between you know roughly – We've talked about that 60 to 100 pick range as a sweet spot, but there's also quite a few arms going in the 100 to 200 range that you're very comfortable with. We just mentioned a few of them. Lynn Giolito, who is, I mean, Giolito's a little bit iffy, but Lozardo, Dustin May, Pablo Lopez, Chris Bassett, another guy we're going to talk about today as well, Uh, not Chris Bassett, but somebody else who I'll leave his name a secret for now, Lance McCullers, Charlie Morton, you know, a couple other guys we're also going to mention today. It's, it's a pretty deep little area for pitchers once you get past pick 100. So I think he's a fine pick. I think that he is fine at pick 112 on average. But I don't think you, you necessarily need to be jumping up the board to take him at the same time. I really like what Seattle has done. I think Seattle is going to be a really good team, and he should be a huge piece of that going forward. The wins will be there. Like, the win potential, anyway, will be there. Uh, given the you know the lineup, how strong the lineup is now, they added Teosca Hernandez and Colton Wong. Maybe we see Jared Kalanick get his shit together this season. That would be very scary for the rest of the American League. And then the rotation. One through four is, is about as good as you're going to find. Luis Castillo, Logan Gilbert, Robbie Ray, and George Kirby, and then Marco Gonzalez, who I'm not a huge fan of, but you're looking at a great rotation. Bullpen with Sewell, uh, Andres Munoz, Diego Castillo, Penn Murphy, they have a lot of good arms in that bullpen. So I think that this team is going to be very, very good. There should be a lot of win potential for Logan Gilbert. He won 13 games last season. I think we can see that go up. And I do think we can see that strikeout number go up a little bit as well. Even if it goes back up to where it was in 2021 at 25%, I think we'd be very happy there. Fewer innings, for sure. 119 versus 185. But I think if he can get back up there, we're going to be looking at a really strong draft pick. We were talking about with Merrill Kelly, not a lot of upside. There is quite a bit of upside with Logan Gilbert, and that's why I'd be a little more comfortable taking him in that 112 range than, you know, if I could pick between him and, and Joe Ryan in that same kind of range of 20, 30 picks, I'm taking Logan Gilbert. I think there's more upside with Gilbert, but at the same time, both of them could get quite a bit better. I, I would expect it more out of the young arm out of Seattle, but I think they're both pretty solid draft picks. I think everybody we're going to talk about today really considering where they're going, it is a relative bargain for next season. They're all very good this season, and you know, with the one or two exceptions, I think that for the most part, if you've taken these guys at cost, you're at least going to get a, an even return on your investment for the most part. Obviously, we're still predicting things four months away from when the season's going to start, but assuming everybody's healthy, everybody does what they're generally supposed to do, expected to do, I think these guys are going to be very strong values where they are being drafted. Logan Gilbert, I think, might be, I mean, he, I think he's the most expensive guy we're going to talk about today, but that is for a reason. Young guy, he's only 25 years old still. Uh, I believe he is the youngest guy we will talk about today unless, uh, yeah, he is the youngest guy we are going to talk about today. He's playing for not the best team we're going to talk about today, but probably the second best team Uh, he is somebody that I feel I feel very confident to uh, not today but in general taking in your drafts at this point the only reason I wouldn't want to take him is if you're in this range and you still see a lot of great arms sitting around him let's say you know a couple of his teammates fall Robbie Ray or maybe George Kirby I'd be just as interested if not more interested in those arms maybe Tristan McKenzie falls around or two and you can get him Or even beyond him, there are some names that I like just as much. Freddie Peralta, Blake Snell, uh, probably Nestor Cortez just as much. Maybe even Clayton Kershaw, depending on how you value per start. uh, Average value versus total value for the season. There's a lot of great names going in that range, which is the only reason why I would be a little bit hesitant. But if you're just looking at it in a vacuum, this is a pretty solid range uh, to be taking Logan Gilbert. Let's talk Luis Garcia, the starter for the Astros. I know there are a few Luis Garcias around baseball. There's another pitcher. There's the second baseman there for Washington. Uh, there, there's a lot of Luis Garcias. But we are talking about the pitcher for the Astros. 15 and 8 record this season with a 3.72 ERA. He gave you just above league average strikeouts at 24.4 percent, walking just below league average at 7.3. whip for him, and when you look at the pitching indicators, they're generally in line with what his ERA was. It was a 372 ERA, a 359 X ERA, 393 FIP, 382 XFIP, and his Sierra was 377, pretty much right in line with what you would expect. Now, my initial concern heading into the offseason was in terms of the pitch clock rule changes for Luis Garcia, and if you're not familiar with with his windup, maybe you haven't seen a lot of him or whatever, go and just Google Luis Garcia windup, put it into YouTube, It's pretty wacky, and when they first announced the rules, I wasn't sure when that pitch clock would start, per se. Like, if it was going to be you have to deliver the pitch within 20 seconds, you have to start your motion. I wasn't sure exactly, but you just have to start your motion within those 20 seconds. So, as long as he starts his rockin' the baby routine there, uh, within those 20 seconds, he's going to be fine. I think he could still take an extra 10 seconds or whatever it is that he tends to take. Uh, after he starts his initial motion and that's not going to be penalized for him that was a worry of mine going into the offseason that he's gonna to have to change his entire delivery in order to stay under this this pitch clock that they have they, they've implemented but I think he'll be pretty okay maybe he needs you know speed it up a second or two but no drastic changes should need to be made to Luis Garcia's windup next season I would expect him to do just about what we have seen him do over these last couple of seasons which is give you solid ERAs I mean, granted, they've gone up each of the last two seasons. His first year, you can't really look at that. He only started one game, pitching five. Uh, it was a 292 ERA and then 348 last year, 372 this year. But the pitching indicators are pretty in line with what we have seen him actually produce. So I'm not worried about him meeting those numbers again. He's pitching for a fantastic team. Granted, maybe they're not quite as good. I mean, they lost Justin Verlander. They've brought back Michael Brantley. They've brought in Jose Abreu really drastic changes other than the Verlander loss, of course. Everything else, the team is the team is pretty similar to what we saw last year. No reason to expect them not to win 100 games again. Talked about the Dodgers, how I don't think they're going to win 100 games again. I do not have that worry with Houston. They are incredibly elite. They, they just replaced Carlos Correa with Jeremy Pena, who is just as good, it seems like. It's, like it's just It's hard to, you know, I've I've hated the Astros for a while since 2017, and I've tried to not, you know, say that so much on the podcast because, honestly, when I look at where the viewers come from on the show, a lot of them are in Toronto, and there's a lot of them in Houston for whatever reason. I don't know how it works. I didn't want to piss off Astros fans, but to be honest with you, I've never, I mean, I used to really like them when they first were coming up, Altuve and Bregman and, and Carlos Correa. I was a huge fan of them. The scandal, the cheating scandal, kind of turned them, turned me against them. But it's hard to look at what this team has done developmentally and say that they are not incredible. Which is, just begs the question again: Why even bother cheating in the first place? I don't think they even needed to. But the team is special. Uh, you know, that's not really a Luis Garcia thing. That's just an overall quality of team thing, which will lead to more wins for him. I'm, I'm a huge fan of. Okay, I shouldn't say I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of them for fantasy purposes, especially their rotation. I think everybody is going to have value in this rotation. Everybody under 30 years old. The old man is Lance McCullers at 29, and I suppose Framber is also 29. McCullers is a little bit older. It's it's a great team. It's a really great team, and as much as we can't let team context really dictate exactly what's going to happen with players, uh, you look at Luis Garcia, and I, I think you have to feel fairly confident in him. He's not terribly expensive for this season uh his ADP right now is 163 I think that that's pretty okay uh, I don't think you know I don't think there's a lot of room for him to exceed that I think you're you pretty much know what you're going to get out of him a mid threes ERA you know fairly average strikeout numbers 24 25 percent roughly with about league average walk rate which should lead to you know about an, an average whip this year 1.13 the year before 1.18 no problems there Uh, I just think the win potential is pretty good for him. And I try to stay away from that in general when I'm talking about pitchers. uh, You know, he's on a good team. He should get more wins. Just look at Jacob deGrom in New York to see how true that can be. But for the most part, uh, you're pitching for a better team. You are going to win more games. That's why Jose Urquidy has been able to have value, talking about another Astros pitcher real quick, despite not being really a great pitcher. Like this year, he went 13 games. His ERA was close to four. The indicators are all high. The indicators are always very high for Urquidy. But he's still able to win 13 games for you because of the fact that he pitches for a very good team. There's a lot of good pitchers this year who did not win 13 games, you know, or he won as many games as Logan Gilbert did. He won as many games as Joe Ryan did. He's definitely not as good of a pitcher as those guys. Same number as Merrill Kelly. Urquiti is not as good as those guys, but because he pitches for a good team, he got those wins. You look at Luis Garcia, who I think is a much better pitcher than Urquidy. You look at the team around him, I don't see any problem expecting 13 to 15 wins from him again with a 3.5 you know, to 3.75 roughly ERA, giving you all right strikeouts, decent whip. Uh, I, I really like him in this range. Another guy who's not going to be flying off the board. Uh, I think that he'll be probably available when you get to this point, round 10 or so, and I think he makes for uh, a pretty decent draft pick once you get down here. Brady Singer is our next guy we are going to talk about today. Mostly fairly young guys we are talking about today with the exception of Merrill Kelly and one other guy we're going to talk about as well. Mostly young guys who had very good, arguably, breakout seasons, depending on how you want to classify it. Brady Singer did have a breakout season. As far as I'm concerned, he threw 153 innings, which maybe you'd want him to throw a little bit more next season, for sure. But over 24 starts, he gave you a 10 and 5 record, a 323 ERA. He was giving you league average, or a little bit better than league average, strikeouts at 24.2%, and he was only walking 5.6% of his batters. He increased his strikeout percentage by two, dropped the walk rate from nine down to 5.6. You got to love it. Yeah, absolutely love it. What you see from him, especially what we saw down the stretch in the second half, it was a two-five-three ERA from him. Uh, batting average against was two-thirty-two, which is pretty good as well. He was exceptional down the stretch, and uh, you know, with Kansas City, I find it hard to quantify them as a team for next season. How good are they going to be <clears throat> is really anybody's guess. I think they're going to be pretty good. Now, I don't think they're going to blow anybody away. They're coming off a sixty-five win season. But you get Bobby Witt developing a little bit more. MJ Melendez, you know, Vinny Pasquantino. Maybe you get healthy Alberto Mondesi. I mean, Christ, I don't expect it, but it's, it's potential, right? Salvador Perez, maybe he stays healthy for a whole year. I, I think that there's a decent chance that this team is all right. Now, one thing that is kind of concerning is their starting rotation, obviously. And roster resource has Jordan Lyles listed as the ace now. He's just signed there, like we mentioned off the top. I'd be very surprised if Brady Singer didn't get the ball on opening day. I think he's going to be the guy that they turn to out of the gate. He'll be their SP1. Now, will he be an SP1 in fantasy? No, but he'll be the first pitcher that Kansas City throws on the bump this season. I would be very surprised if he's not. His price, I think, is very reasonable. 194 with a min pick of 148 and a max of 267. Still trying to figure out generally his consensus I think that anywhere in that range is honestly fine obviously the lower you can get him the better but if you're getting him right at ADP at 194 you're getting a guy who gave you a strong ERA and the underlying numbers were pretty strong as well 397 XERA 358 FIP 330 XFIP and a 340 Sierra nothing in there that indicates that he was getting very lucky or anything the BABIP was right on 300 which is you know a little bit higher than normal or roughly you know it's especially when you look at what he did the year before, 350 up down to 300. It's not like he was getting particularly lucky either season. And, you know, 2021 granted, not a great season for him. This year was a really good season. And maybe you can point to the 79% left on base percentage, a little bit high, but it's not something I'd look at and say that's the reason why he's not going to be successful next year or or whatever. Uh, I think that he is going to be a great, great value at this price. And, you know, I would be taking him in a lot of drafts. I I truly think you should be taking him quite a bit in this range. There's not really much room to go down. Maybe he can regress a little bit. Considering the team, I I think they're going to be pretty good. I I honestly think that they are going to be a pretty good, at least a 500 ball club. I I can really see that, especially in the lineup with these guys developing a little bit farther along. Not that development's linear per se, but when you got three young studs specifically Witt and Pasquantino and MJ Melendez to a lesser extent possibly you get some Montesey possibly you get some Edward Oliveras. you know I I don't really know what Edward Oliveres can be yet but I think he's going to be pretty decent uh, you know I think this team the team could be pretty good they could make some noise in a division that is not the greatest I, I don't know if they can win the division or not I don't think so but I think they can make a little bit of noise, at least go 500, have a good team. And I think that Brady Singer will likely be the ace of this team. So I I don't have any problem taking him around pick 200. In fact, I, I would encourage it. He's going to be on a lot of my teams this year because I think the price is very reasonable. I don't think you're going to get hurt from taking Brady Singer. We're going to talk about one more pitcher today, and that is Martin Perez. Martin Perez is a very hard one to look at and say we know anything because he has had a very rough career up to this point. Even with this great season, he had a 289 ERA. The career ERA still sits at 443. And when you look at over the years, there's one good season in there. Really, there was one good year, and it was 2013. We're talking 10 years ago. He had a 362 ERA, and even then, uh, his expected stats were quite a bit higher. The FIP was 423 that year, the XFIP was 404. Not that much higher, but higher enough where you'd be a little bit concerned. Uh, if you look throughout the years, never on ERA under four again. Pitching a lot of the time, you know, he did miss some time here and there, but 33 th- starts, 32, 32, 29, 22, never, never that great. And then this season, he throws 196 innings, which was the most he had thrown since 2016. He gave you a 289 ERA. He gave you an incredibly low walk rate of, actually, you know what? It wasn't as low as I thought at 8.4%. I thought it was a little bit lower than that. Maybe it tailed off a little bit. Let me just check what it was in the second half. I thought that his walk rate was a little bit better than that anyway. Okay, in the first half, it was 6.6%. Second half, 10.7%. It did go up a little bit. He is somebody who is, like I said, it's hard to know what to do with for next season. The price is very reasonable. It's not like he's been, you know, people aren't expecting him to repeat what he did last year. 311 is his ADP in draft champions. That's, you know, not even being drafted territory in 12-team leagues. I think that if your last pick of the draft is Martin Perez, you could probably do worse. However, there's not really a lot of upside there. Uh, Best case scenario is, you know, I don't even think the best case scenario is him repeating what he did last year. I think the best case scenario is, is some regression still like a 3.5 ERA would be probably what you'd expect. Uh, his pitching indicators this past season not bad at all. Three uh, fifty-nine X, three twenty-seven FIP, three eighty X FIP, and um, Sierra was four hundred eight, which was the high number there. But I don't think I don't think he's gonna be terrible. I he, again he's really hard to figure out, but I don't think he's gonna be terrible. I think that with his cutter and his changeup specifically. Uh, I think that those pitches were incredible for him. When you look at the pitch values, according to Fangraphs, the cutter was his best pitch, and the changeup, which was a negative value pitch for a lot of years, actually turned into a positive value pitch. And that's kind of a thing in general with, with pitching and why it's gotten so much harder to be a batter in Major League Baseball. You look at the average going down every year, strikeout rates going up. It's because there is so much advanced data like this, and you can see the exact value that a pitch gives you. Like last year, he was throwing... The curveball, 8.4% of the time, and it was a you know, negative value pitch this year. Still negative value pitch, but he only threw it 3.5% of the time. Honestly, I think the cutter is is the big thing here. The cutter and the changeup, but the cutter last season in terms of the value was negative 11. This year was positive 10. He threw it just about the same amount of the time. Uh No, let me see, actually, uh, 28 down to 24. He cut a little bit off of it, but fairly consistent there. I just think... With all this advanced data, pitchers know, and I mean, it's not like the batters don't have this data, but it is objectively a lot harder to be a batter than it is to be a pitcher. You know, if you're, if you're batting 27% of your bats or, uh, bats or hits, then you're, a, you're an excellent hitter. That's, uh, you know, it, it doesn't take a lot to be a great hitter in terms of your percentage of hits. I, I know I, I jumbled that phrasing, but you, you, I think you guys know what I'm talking about here. It's a lot harder to be a batter than it is to be a pitcher. They make these little tinks, little tinkers with pitches, with pitch mixes, because of all the data that's available, and that's a big reason why we saw Perez a little bit more successful than we had ever seen him before. I think he's fine to take in the last round. If you're taking him in a D.C., I'm a little bit worried. You're going to have to have him on your team the entire year. It's still pitching depth, and at the point of where you're drafting him, it's essentially what he is at 311. The minimum pick was 254. The max was 385. I don't think we can take him, and I, in fact, I, I kind of know this almost for a fact. I don't think you can take him and expect anything kind of similar to a, a sub-3 ERA. Maybe a 3-5 ERA is about, you know, probably probably the best case scenario for him, I would think. Uh, strikeout rate was good. It was a career high at 20%, but that's the thing. Like, his career high strikeout rate is 20%. There's not a lot to fall back on on a per-inning basis if he were to have a few stinkers, and, you know, there's some pitchers we've talked about with high strikeout rates. Even Hunter Green, who I'm not big on for next season, he might give you stinkers, but he could still at the same time with those stinkers give you like an eight strikeout game and you'd be you know, able to fall asleep a little bit easier. If Martin Perez gives you a stinker, it's probably going to be two or three strikeouts. So there's not that per inning upside to fall back on in terms of the actual talent of Martin Perez. He had a very good year where he was fairly lucky. Very low Babbitt for his standards at 295. He's typically, I mean, for the career 310. uh, He's stranded, just actually, yeah, tied for a career high uh, left on base percentage with that 2013 year that was very good. 77%. He's been a 70% guy for his career. He did get a little bit lucky for the season. I wouldn't expect the same numbers again. I think that he can probably be fine. But of all the guys we talked about today, I think that he is the hardest to quantify heading into next season in terms of what he is going to be. He's not a young guy anymore. He's going to be 32 years old by the time he throws a pitch next season. Probably his birthday is April 4th. I'm, I'm really not sure what to expect here. And I think, honestly, it made sense for him to accept that qualifying offer, one year, $19 million. But I, I don't think that he's going to get much of a contract after this. I could be wrong. If I were him, I probably would have tried to cash in this offseason and try and get a three or four year deal, maybe a slightly lower uh average annual value with a longer term. But that would be I mean, that's been, you know, the hot thing to do this offseason. I figured that he would cash in on the sub three ERA, the 12 victories that he had, and you know, take that to the bank. He did. But it's not, you know, one year, $19 million. I don't know that he's going to be able to have another contract that'll be anywhere close in the average annual value range. We'll see what he does this year. He's very hard to put your finger on. But overall, I'm not so excited about drafting him. If he's your last pick overall in, you know, your standard 10, 12-teamers, whatever. In a 10-teamer, I doubt he's going to get drafted. In a 12-teamer, if he's your last pick, I'm not going to give you a hard time there. Uh, but he's not somebody with a ton of upside where you should be jumping up the board at all to take him. He's fine, but he's likely not going to be great. So keep keep all that in mind when you are drafting for next season, guys. That is going to wrap it up for us for today. Like I said off the top, Matt Williams will be joining us tomorrow. We're going to look at some ADP stuff, some general strategy as well in terms of the NFBC drafts that have been going on so far. That one will be out on your feeds mid-afternoon. I'm going to say by 4 o'clock. It should be out there, maybe a touch later, worst-case scenario. Uh, But you guys can really help us out by, first of all, subscribing to the podcast. You guys would get that one right in your feed right when it comes out. You guys can leave a like on the show, not a like on the show, a comment or a review on the show. I'm so used to the Twitter world of likes. Uh, You guys can leave a review on the show. I'd really appreciate that. A couple of kind words below. Let us know what you think of the show. If you don't like it, if you like it, whatever it is, uh, leave your comments down below in the comments section. Follow me on Twitter at JoeOrico99, J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O 99. And also, more specifically, Ethos Fantasy BB. That is where all of our new baseball content is going to be posted the rest of the offseason heading into next year as well. I'm getting messages as we speak from Michael Fisher. I believe that his article is mostly completed i'll have to take a look once we uh once we hit the pause button here on the recording but his article which i believe is looking at uh you know his first article was looking at the shift and different changes that are going to be affecting us next year for fantasy this one that he has put together i believe is going to be looking at players who are affected by those changes so that one should be on the site at the latest by tomorrow and we'll share the links out on Twitter. Ethos Fantasy BB, guys, that is where all the stuff will be shared from. I really look forward to seeing what this can become at Sports Ethos, and you guys can help out just by following along, subscribing, doing all that great stuff. But that's enough of the rambling out of me. We will see you guys tomorrow with Matt Williams. Guys, take care and have a great night. Cheers.